0: Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife Mandy and we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. Uh, We are in a series set for seven weeks about discipleship, growing as disciples in Jesus Christ. And we believe that all of these disciplines That if we're growing in these seven dimensions of discipleship, each individual one taking steps, practical steps with each one, then we will be growing as disciples of Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19 is the Great Commission, and Jesus says, we've begun every sermon with this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He's telling disciples to go make disciples. That's what the bottom line definition of discipleship is. We are growing to be more like Jesus as his disciples who are multiplying ourselves into other people, and we are making disciples. Jesus didn't say, go make converts. He didn't say, go make believers. Although that's good, he says the real commission is to go deeper than just a proclamation. It's for us to grow and become more like him. The running definition of disciple for this series is someone who is following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed, committed to the mission of Jesus, which is disciple-making, which is disciple-making. Um, in 2018, there was a news story that swept the world. And it, it started out not having a ton of publicity, but immediately over the next few days, it just swept the world. It's a story of 12 Um, young boys from Thailand, a Thai soccer team and their coach, after a soccer practice one day, they decided they wanted to go explore a local cave, and as they were exploring the cave, they went deep into the cave, and all of a sudden, the monsoon rains came, and the cave was flooded. These boys were stuck in this cave, and many of you follow this story in June and July of 2018 for 18 days deep into this cave in a cavern and they could not get to these boys. They were, they were without food and, and the entire world was wondering and praying and they were trying to figure out how long did these boys have. Well, immediately after the first day or so when this hit worldwide news, Elon Musk, who back then people kind of knew who he was but he's become a lot more famous today and pretty polarizing. So whatever your feelings are about him, just, it's a cool story. So Elon Musk, Elon Musk sees what's happening. And immediately, because of the companies he oversees, he gathers some of the greatest scientists and minds close to him in proximity, and they say, "There's there's a problem in Thailand, here's what's going on, and we're going to invent something. We're going to invent a submarine that is small enough that can get to these boys, take them supplies, and maybe one at a time, these boys can get into the submarine with oxygen and bring them all the way back out, over a kilometer, back out into um, with their families and out of the cave. So they immediately jump on this and they solve this. They build, they invent a submarine 10 days into this predicament. He uses his own airplane, flies his own crew, spends all of his own money, and they fly all the way to Thailand and present this project that they had made, this invention to the Thai government and they're they're deliberating and they're trying to figure out, do we wanna use Elon Musk's invention? Do we wanna use this other stuff? And here's what's crazy about the story. When I was reading this, I thought, man, this is a part of the story I've never heard. They used Elon Musk's invention to save these boys? No. He flew all the way over there, spent all of these millions of dollars with people's time and materials and the flights to present this to the Thai government and for them to say, we actually think we have a better idea. Can you imagine? So they end up using their idea and each one of the boys was rescued one at a time. But here's what's interesting about the story. It doesn't stop. Elon Musk didn't just say, well, forget you. Now he gives them a bill. He doesn't do any, like, anything like that. He doesn't get back on his airplane and fly home. He stays and rolls up his sleeves And said, well, if you're not going to use my invention, that's totally fine. What can I do to help? All of his resources, the money, the people that went with him, they immediately were boots on the ground, doing everything they could with serving to get these boys to safety. I want you to think about the attitude that this takes. Because Elon didn't get upset that they didn't use his gift. He rolled up his sleeves and started serving. He leaves the submarine behind behind with no strings attached. This is the coolest part of the story. He says, well, just in case something like this ever happens again, or if you're ever in need of a multi-million dollar one-person submarine, keep it. After all of this was done, he leaves with a smile on his face, gets back onto the airplane, and flies home once the boys were safe. And no matter what your feelings are about Elon Musk, can we just agree that that's an incredible attitude? And if people in the church If people in the church could grow in that kind of a posture and attitude with serving, the world would be a completely different place. The media in this story was trying to bait him over and over and over. Aren't you mad? Aren't you frustrated? And he says, no. And this is the quote he says, the thing that matters most is that the boys and the coach are saved. And when I think about that story, and I think about we as believers today, when it comes to service, and that's the topic we're looking at today, how often we should have this exact mindset, not necessarily with the physical, but yes, but also with the spiritual and eternity and serving in the house of God. What really matters at the end of the day is, are people getting saved? It's not about my gift. It's not about, well, now you owe me if you're not gonna use me. It's not about, well, I need to be up there, and I need to have the spotlight, and I need to sing, and I need to preach, or I need to to be the one in charge of the team. It's just at the end of the day, are people getting saved? That's the point of Christian service, and the title of my message today is that, The Nature of Christian Service, The Nature of Christian Service. Um, there's a word that's used often in, in the church world, and, and I, I really don't know exactly how the church started using it, because it's not a biblical word. It's not a cuss word, necessarily. No, it's not at all. It's not a bad word. It's just not a biblical word, and here's the word we use a lot, ready, when it comes, for, when it comes to the subject of service. We use the word volunteer, volunteer. We'll say, hey, we would love for you to volunteer. And at its core, when we say volunteer, we don't mean it in any kind of way, but here's the definition of the word volunteer, and it never shows up one time in the entire Bible. It says this, here's the definition. A person who chooses to freely give their time and labor often for community service. A person who chooses to freely give, what? There. That's the word that everything hinges on and why this word is not in the Bible. Remember last week when we were talking about money. So thank you everybody for coming back after the money week. That's, that's great. I love you guys. Thanks for being back. When we started talking about giving and generosity last week. We established right out of the gate with point number one. God is the creator and owner of everything. And the reason why volunteering never shows up in scripture. And really technically why we shouldn't use that word today. Is because of that word there. A person who chooses to freely give, hold on, it's not my time, it's not my labor, it's, it's not my work, it's God's gift to me, it's what he's given me, I'm just a steward of. It's not about volunteering, it's about serving, because although volunteering never shows up in the Bible, there's another word that shows up over 1,100 times, and that's the word servant. Servant. Servants aren't the master. They're not the master of their time. They're not the master of their money. They're not the master of their resources. They're not the master of anything. And this is why at the core of Christianity and all of our spiritual growth, really every single one of these seven dimensions, at the core of all of them, we have to understand everything I have is God's. I don't own anything. And if we really can remind ourselves of that every single day, All of a sudden, we can kind of lower our guard. We don't get defensive because I've been so freely given by God, I can freely give. Servants aren't masters of their time, money, labor, or gifts. Servants are stewards of God's money, time, and labor. So I wanna spend just a few minutes today. We're gonna have four points today. And I wanna look at the difference between volunteering and serving. What's the difference between a volunteering mentality? and a serving mentality. What's the difference? Number one is this. Volunteers focus on what they give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. Now, that sounds like such a Sunday school answer. Like, well, of course you would start with that, Pastor. Focus on what Jesus, yes, 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 but it's so true because it dictates our posture forever and how we live our life. Now, I wanna be clear right out of the gate today. I mean, we're going to give toward the end some practical steps for you to serve in the church. I mean, there's a spoiler alert, but serving is not just what you do in church. Serving is who you are at home. Serving is who you are as a father and a mother and a child and a parent and a grandparent. Serving is who you are as a coworker, as a boss, as a manager. We serve and have a posture of serving Everywhere, because it's a command, and Jesus was actually pretty straightforward about it. But volunteers focus on what they give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. True servants serve as a response to how much Jesus has already given. The posture is this. Because Jesus has given so much to me, how can I just exist with expecting people to serve me and not pour out and serve others because of how much God has blessed me, given me, freely blessed me with. First John 3.16, not to be confused with John 3.16, says this, this is how we know what love is. I love this. Christ gave his life for us. We too then ought to give our lives for others. I mean, it's just blatantly right there. Now, now we know this, but throughout this sermon, throughout this sermon, here's what I need you to do. Don't think about the people who need to be here. Don't think, man, this would have been a great sermon for my wife to be here today. This would have been really good. I should have dragged my teenagers out of bed because they need this. No, 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 no. I need you today to look at yourself and ask yourself this. When do you serve others expecting nothing in return? Just out of a response to what God has given us. Ephesians 6, 7 through 8 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. And not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do the reward comes from God not people and we can't even put parameters on the kind of reward God gives us he's the giver of everything and he gives us what we need not always what we want the focus of our servanthood shouldn't be first on people It has to be first on God. I don't serve just because the pastor asked me to. I don't serve at home because my wife wants me to, firstly. I don't serve at home because my kids need me to, firstly. I serve because God said serve. I serve because he first gave me everything I have Freely in my life. I serve because I know I am living my life for an audience of one. I'm not perfect at this, you're not perfect at this. Every single one of us have to grow in servanthood. Why? Because by nature, we're the opposite. We're the opposite. None of us, maybe except my two grandmothers, but none of us <laughs> wake up, think of how they can serve people. We, we wake up and it's a discipline to get to that. Naturally, we will revert to, I need people to serve me. I need people to serve me. I believe absolutely that people need to be respected. Bosses, pastors, people in leadership, managers, coaches, teachers. I believe in honor and respect for sure. We should think about people when we're serving, but we need to think most about God. We've got to understand that he's the one who's commanded us to do it, He's the one that's watching and I do it out of a love response for him. now, if we do this only for the sake of people, I can guarantee you one thing let's just think about in the context of serving in church for a second if we do this for the sake of people because of you know someone asked us to or whatever it might be, or we, we want to get that person's attention or maybe they whatever the motive is, if we start serving because of people then we will end up being hurt by people. Because if you're in the church long enough, you'll eventually find that God will answer your prayer. God, use me. He will answer that with people who do what? Use you. God, use me. And then people are like, oh, I can use you. I can use you on my team. I can use you. You're like, no, no, I don't need you to use me. I need God to use me. And God's like, I am over here. So they're like, okay, well, hey, I need you, use me. So over here, we're praying, God, use me, use me. And then all of a sudden, when people are, our prayer changes to God, they're using me. And he said, I know, you asked me to be used. So now you're gonna be used by people. But we don't ever get to the point of going, God, they're using me, if we understand it's not really them, it's God. Because I'm serving for God, but I'm serving people for an audience of one of God. Are you following me? I can't get mad at people for using me if I've asked God to use me. And let's just be honest. Every, if you've been in church for longer than a month, longer than a few months, all of us. I mean, I've, this is my full-time job. And naturally, sometimes I'm like, God, they're using me. You know, We all get to that point. Every single one of us. But that's the point where we have to check our spirit and go back to saying, no, 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 no. To become more like Jesus means I'm, I'm, I'm going to be used. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The truth is this. You don't know if you're really a servant until you're really treated like a servant. The first time someone treats you like a servant, that's the first gut check to know if you are one. Because if someone treats you like a servant and we erupt in anger, guess what we aren't? A servant. And how do we know, like, man, that's pretty extreme, but that's exactly what Jesus modeled. Not only did people treat Jesus like a servant, they killed him, and he was still blessing them, praying for them, not pitching a fit, not getting mad, not changing churches, not posting on Facebook, Not saying, hashtag church hurt. He's saying, God, I'm here, the Father, to be used by the Father. And Jesus is the ultimate example. And so I am being used by the Father. And when I'm used, I'm going to be used. Matthew 5, 16 is this. In the same way, your light must shine before people so that they will see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. And this goes back to the being used thing. I I think I think the bullseye for our lives when we're serving is this. God, as I'm being used, let your light shine through me so I people see your love, your goodness through my deeds and it's not me that they're looking at. God, it has to be about you. You. Number two is this volunteers are time sensitive, servants are need sensitive. Volunteers are time sensitive, servants are need sensitive. So, a volunteer mindset, remember, is like it's my time, right? And a lot of us, we get into that mode not because we're like evil or ungodly, it's just the natural leaning of humanity. But if we go into serving with a volunteer mindset, it's our time to give. And my time is valuable. Unless we can shift that into the servant mindset of what's the need, and let me wrap my time around that. Now, again, there's, there's balance here. There's moderation. There's priorities. Your family. I, I get all of that. I'm not talking about extremes. I'm talking about an overall posture of, I don't know if I have the time. I'm in a really busy season of life right now. And again, I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about the investment into the home, into friendships, into people at your workplace, coworkers, bosses, people that work for you. We have to have a servant mindset that's need sensitive. The perfect story in scripture is the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the good Samaritan. Jesus tells this story, it's a made up story, a parable to illustrate a very real truth and command that Jesus was giving his Jewish audience. He starts by talking about a very very well-known path, a road. And he says, there's this Jewish man walking down this road and robbers and thieves attack him, mug him, leave him on the side of the road to, to die. He's at the brink of death. And then Jesus continues. Remember, he's talking to religious people and religious leaders. And he says, then a priest walks by, a Jewish priest and the Jewish man on the side of the road. And the priest sees it, the need, but doesn't have the time. And he keeps going. Then Jesus says, then there's a Levite that comes by, another Jewish man. And he comes by and sees this man on the side of the road, the same thing. I don't know if I have the time. Sees the need, but time trumps need. And he keeps going. Then Jesus says, but then there was a Samaritan. Remember, Samaritans and Jews clashing like crazy at this time period. When Jesus says Samaritan, everybody starts laughing. You can imagine in the crowd, Samaritan.'" There's no, and then all of a sudden, Jesus says, This man sees the need and subjects his time to the need and stops, takes care of the man, bandages his wounds, puts the man on his donkey, takes him to the inn and tells the innkeeper, I will front the bill. And all the while, this man's agenda is coming second to the need right in front of him. And Jesus looks at the crowd. And he says, go and do likewise. Jesus was so serious about this. He's telling Jewish people, I just illustrated this using a type of person that you call your enemy to illustrate what to do. And now Jesus is saying, go do this like them. Serve people and put need above time. Why could Jesus say this? Because Jesus was doing the exact same thing for them on his way to the cross, Put need above time. There's always opportunities for this. There's an amazing couple in our church. They're actually on staff. And they, their 20th anniversary was this year, and they don't know I'm telling this story. Their 20th anniversary was this year, and they'd been saving and planning for a while, months, to go to Maui for their 20th anniversary. Super excited. We were excited for them. Just an amazing opportunity. But all of a sudden, the the fires break out in Maui in August, and their trip was planned for a week and a half after the fires. So the entire island, the resorts are shut down. There's no excursions. There's no anything fun to do. Our congregation is in desperate need in Maui. There's so much work to be done. So instead, Cruz and Sarai Flores, instead of getting their money back from the flights, instead of... Canceling their trip, they ask, they say, can we go help and serve the people? We were actually there for a few days while Cruz and Sadai were there. They stayed for the entire duration of what they would have done for their 20th anniversary, serving between 14 and 16 hours a day, serving meals, working, sweating, and I'm watching them going, that is what Jesus was talking about. That is what Jesus is talking about putting need above time, putting need above our own desires. And I'm watching this play out and I'm thinking in my mind as I'm watching them serve, I can imagine the smile on Jesus's face because the essence of the story of the good Samaritan is essentially this. Jesus is teaching us to have the posture of this inconvenience me. Just it's okay, You can inconvenience me. But that's so opposite of what our culture is telling us right now. Our culture is saying, if something inconveniences you, then that disrupts your happiness, so don't do it. Because happiness is the pinnacle, right? And so what Jesus is saying, though, is our posture as believers should be, it's okay. Inconvenience me. I'm not gonna get mad at an inconvenience. That's the whole point to what we're doing, is to alter our lives for the sake of Jesus who gave his life for us. Number three is this. Volunteering makes you feel superior. Serving makes you humble. Volunteering makes you feel superior. Serving makes you humble. Remember, because if it's my time, my work, my labor, my creativity, my skill, my money, then all of a sudden we can kind of, if we're not careful, have this superior mindset, this superiority mindset of like, well, the church is so lucky to have me. You know, I, 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 I'm serving, man, my family's lucky to have, man, a, a dad and a husband like me. Because I know these other dads and husbands, man, I mean, they, they don't serve like I do. And then we're like, and I am so humble about it too. Why can't anybody be humble like me? All of a sudden, we actually start believing that because the volunteer mindset means I'm giving what I have, so be grateful. But the servant mindset is, I don't have anything. Everything I have is from God, so I'm grateful he gave everything, right? So humility is the outcome of truly understanding the servant mindset. Jesus in John chapter 13 is getting closer. They're in Jerusalem, he and his disciples. And now they're just a matter of hours or days away from Jesus' arrest and the crucifixion going into Holy Week. And there's this very famous story where Jesus is gathered with his disciples around the table. And it's the story where Jesus washes washes their feet. And it says this, starting in verse 4 of John 13. So he rose from the table, took off his outer garment, and tied a towel around his waist. Then he poured some water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and dry them with the towel around his waist. He said to Simon Peter, who said to him, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, are you going to wash my feet, Lord? So um, really picture this. Jesus is just preparing to wash feet. And now remember, washing feet was disgusting. Like if, you, if that messes you up in modern times, thinking about it, think about what it was like back then. Sewage running in the, running in the streets, the mud, the smell, it's bad. That's why people who washed feet, the servants, at the front doors were the lowest of the low. And Jesus is with his disciples, and he is already proclaimed to be the son of God, the king of kings, and he's beginning to prepare to wash their feet. But Jesus doesn't tell them ahead of time, Peter jumps out and immediately goes, hey, 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 Jesus, are you about to wash our feet? Are you about to wash our feet? Verse seven, Jesus answered him, you do not understand now what I am doing but you will understand later. Peter declared, never at any time will you wash my feet. (laughs) Never at any time will you wash my feet. If I do not wash your feet, Jesus answered, you will no longer be my disciple. Simon Peter answered, Lord, do not wash only my feet then. Wash my hands and head too. Forever, growing up, I thought this was like, finally Peter had gotten humble. I thought, man, what what a humble thing. Jesus, you can't wash my feet. But it was the complete opposite. This was the pinnacle of pride for Peter. You wanna know why? Because Peter anticipated things. He forecasted. All along, Peter was worried about the future and where things were going. And Peter looks at Jesus about to wash their feet. He knew where this was going. He knew that this was gonna be an example that Jesus was making. And he was about to tell them they were gonna do what he was about to do. And Peter was not about washing feet. I'm not gonna to stoop to that. So when Jesus starts stooping to wash feet, he says, Jesus, never under any circumstance, this is what he's really saying with his heart, Jesus, never under any circumstance will I wash someone's feet. So please don't do what you're about to do because I don't want this to be the standard. I, I, can't, I can't do this like you're doing and all of a sudden he says, well, then you can't be my disciple and Peter goes, oh, he got me. He got me because I wanna be his disciple. And then he jumps out and says, okay, but if you're going to wash my feet, then at least wash my head and my body as well. Because that means that it was a cleansing, which wasn't as lowly as just a feet washing. And Jesus says, I'm washing your feet. It's just like, you know, if you have a boss or even a parent when you're a kid and you're getting ready to leave. I remember my dad was always landscaping in our yard, always pulling weeds. They have an acre and I would walk out of the front door. My dad's out there pulling weeds, and he's sweating. And I'm getting ready to go hang out with friends, like going to a movie, and I'm like trying to tiptoe so he doesn't see me. Because I knew if he looked at me, I would feel guilty. And I would be like, ah, oh, he's pulling weeds. Now I'm going to be a horrible son if I just go out and get in my car and drive away going, Dad, enjoy the hot sun pulling weeds. I'm going to a movie, and you're paying for it, you know, kind of thing, right? And because I knew he was creating a standard. And it's the same thing with Jesus and Peter. He knew Jesus was creating a new standard and he didn't wanna have to do what he was doing. In verse 12, it picks up. After Jesus had washed their feet, he put his outer garment back on and returned to his place at the table. Do you understand what I have just done to you? He asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and it is right that you do so because that is what I am. I, your Lord and teacher, have just washed your feet. You then should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you so that you will do just what I have done for you. I am telling you the truth. No servants are greater than their master and no messengers are greater than the one who sent them. So what he's saying is, if you think now, I've already done it. So if you think you can get around this, what you're actually saying is, you think you're greater than me. If you don't do what I just did, you think you're greater than me. And let me remind you, no one is greater than their master and no one who goes out is greater than the one who sent them. Then he closes with this in verse 17. Now that you know this truth, how happy you will be if you put it into practice. I just imagine, these are basically like upper high school age disciples. I can just imagine their faces because I have two boys this age. When Jesus goes, and how happy you will be When we lay out chores for our kids, when we say, this is what we're going to do today, we're going to be working around the house. They look at us like it's just Armageddon, that the world is falling apart. And I go, you know what's interesting too? Because my dad taught this to me. He said, it doesn't matter how much you hate the thought of work. Once you're done, you're happy. I'm like, dad, that is dumb. When I was a teenager, that is not true. And then when you get done, you're like, man, I'm good at that. I've got work ethic. I'm going somewhere in my life, right? And that's what I tell my kids. And I can imagine the disciples' faces. And Jesus goes, hey, when you do this, you're gonna be happy. And they're like, I don't feel happy. I don't really wanna do that. But Jesus was teaching us something that is a timeless principle from God. When you serve, that's when you're the happiest. Yes, it's true. The most miserable people And it's sad because sometimes the most miserable people in the world are church people. But the most miserable people I've ever known in my life were church people who didn't serve. Who allowed themselves to become the center of everything. And they were in denial of that. And they're just, they're bitter. Because that's what happens when we aren't in alignment with the way our creator designed us to live. We break and fall apart. And Jesus says, you were created to serve, and you're going to be the happiest when you do. One of the happiest people I know is a volunteer here at our church that is one of the longest running members of our church. I'm turning 40 this year, and she has been a part of our church for 42 years. For 42 years, she's been serving, and she's one of my favorite people in the world, After each of the services I preach, I walk back here, and there's a walkway under the the seating. If you're here, you can see it under the seating. And I walk by our adult special needs room. And Carol Matthews has been investing into children with adult with, with special needs and adults with special needs for her entire adult life. Through foster care, welcoming those with special needs into her home, and investing into children and adults with special needs for 40 years in our church. Yes, I just think think that deserves an applause. And every time I walk by, she's standing outside of her door, service is about to begin for her with adult special needs, and she's beaming. She's smiling, I say, Carol, how are you today? She goes, I am great. And I give her a big hug, and it's just so, people have asked me before, like in different circles, like who are some of the godliest people you know? And I, I, I kind of, my dad and I talk about this often too. I go, dad, one day in heaven, who do you think will have the greatest treasures? The biggest mansions? I mean, it's because all of that's there, right? We're, we're, gonna, we're gonna have all of that. And I, I don't think it's gonna be pastors that have the biggest houses. I think I'll have one of the smallest ones. Because he, I, what I do, a lot of it, is in front of people. I think Carol Matthews is on the short list for having the mansion of all mansions. Over 40 years of investment into people that God loves so deeply and has asked us to serve. And I I just think it's an amazing, amazing thing. Can we give Carol another big round of applause? She's actually in there right now, I believe, amazing. Number four is this, volunteers want to be connected. Servants are committed. Volunteers want to be connected. Servants are committed. There's a crazy story in 2 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament. The people of God are scattered, and in the land God wants his people, there are people there, and lions are attacking and killing and eating people in this chapter. And I mean, the Bible is... is, Sometimes people say they, they get bored reading the Bible. There are, there are a few books you can get bored in. And I would just say, do those, you know, go through the, go through the fun stuff first. It's okay. Then, then you can get to Numbers. And then you can get to Ecclesiastes. Then, then, you know, wait until you're 18 to read Song of Solomon. And then all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> but this story is wild in 2 Kings. Lions are attacking people and eating people. And then they're praying. Some of them are god fears, Some of them aren't at all. But they had heard that that was the land because it was, people had occupied the land that our God, the one true God, had wanted the Jewish people to be in. So they started praying, these people that served other gods as well to our God, saying, can you stop the lion attacks? And God does. God eliminates the lion attacks, but then the people don't completely surrender their lives to God. The Bible doesn't tell us explicitly that God sent the lions, but it does tell us that he stopped the lions from attacking them. But then in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33, just a little while after this amazing miracle, this is what it says. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods. And, you know, when I read that, I just thought that is where so many people are, not by choice or intention, but really by lack of intention. We find ourselves fearing God, fearing the Lord, but still serving God. Our own gods of time, our own gods of money, creativity, labor, skill, ambition, whether it's serving at church or at our homes, we find ourselves not doing those things because we look at ourselves. So like many people today, this is what essentially this looks like today, because it says they feared the Lord, but they served their own gods. People today say, I want just enough of God to keep the lions away. I want just enough of God. I wanna be connected enough to God to keep the devil away, but I still kind of wanna do my own thing. It's still my time. It's still my money. It's still my life. It's mine. I want to be connected to you, God, but I don't really want to be committed to you. There's this little story that shows up in preacher jokes all the time. And I'm just gonna tell you because I like it. And there's this farmer who is eating with his wife. He's eating breakfast and he's eating bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. And his wife looks at him, has a smile on her face and just kind of asks this funny question. She says, husband, which one do you think sacrificed more? The chicken or the pig? And the farmer's sitting there eating his bacon and eggs, chews on it a little bit, smiles, looks up at his wife, and says the chicken was involved but the pig was committed the chicken was involved thank you I'll be here all day but the pig was committed you know you read that and it's and it it's true but this is what's so interesting when it comes to sacrifice God isn't saying be involved he's saying be committed over and over and over again Jesus says what does it look like to follow me? Take up your cross, die to yourself. It's gotta be self-sacrifice. And I I think one of the greatest ways through discipline, remember these are disciplines. Discipleship comes from discipline. It's not just God does this for you. I'm saved only by grace and only by what God has done for me through Jesus on the cross. But if I grow in my faith, that's up to me empowered by the Holy Spirit, for sure, but I've got to make choices. I've got to grow in discipline in these different areas, and what discipline looks like with serving is not just thinking about it. It's doing it. We've got to start with action, and I think one of the greatest ways to get our kids involved in us is to serve in church. I think over a period of time, there has to be a point that we we say, we're not only going to attend this church. At some point... We're going to serve because it takes hundreds of volunteers to do this every single week, hundreds. When I was younger, just like most people when they're young, I thought of myself a lot. In middle school and high school, I could tell it kind of worried my dad. (laughs) Looking back on it now, I know it worried him because he was constantly trying to do little things to kind of get that out of my system, the selfishness. And I'll never forget, there there was something he did one summer Summer after my freshman year of high school, he did, and and then I I had no idea the impact. But it changed my life forever. I I think about it all the time. It changed the whole trajectory of my life. That summer, there was a an older lady in our church. Her name was Mrs. Lehman. Her husband had just passed away a few years before that, and she still had her house, but she was unable to work around her house. And she had a big yard in the back, and was unable to do things. And my dad was talking to her one day and said, "I have a son." who would be perfect for your yard work. So I had summer football every single day, 6 a.m., every single day. Then on Saturday, I thought, man, I'm gonna sleep in. It's my my day. Oh no. My dad would come in every Saturday at 7 a.m. and go, get up, we're going to Miss Lehman's. I'm like, who's Miss Lehman? Who is this? He says, you're gonna work in her backyard. I'm like, well, how much is she gonna pay me? My dad's like, oh man, you've got a lot to, to learn here. How much is she gonna pay me? I'm How big is the yard? You know, that's immediate, that's what, that's what selfish people think, right? The reward. So he goes and he walks me up to the front door the first day at Mrs. Lehman's house. She's just the nicest lady ever. She's probably in her 80s at this point. And nicest lady ever. And, and my dad said, hey, this is Dustin. And I said, hi, Mrs. Lehman. How are you? She said, fine. And he said, he's gonna work as much and as hard and as long as you need him to. And I went, what? That's a big commitment she goes in and she takes me to the backyard and she says, I guess we can start with mowing the yard and trimming. And I said, oh, great. Where, where's your lawnmower? And she said, that's it. And there was something in the grass. And I was like, that what's that? So it's, it's just, we've, we've had that forever. You know, my husband used it and it was a lawnmower without an engine. <laughs> and I'm looking at this and this is a big yard grass and you would push it. Just went, I'm like, where does the, where does the grass go? And she goes, you rake it and then you put it into bags. And I went, (gasps) you know, I'm like freaking out, right? And so I'm just like trying to calculate how long this is gonna take. And she's sitting on a bench swing in the shade drinking lemonade. And I'm just drenched in sweat. And I would look over at her and she would go, she was just so proud. And I'm mowing that lawn. Back and forth, back and forth. And I get done mowing. And I go, Mrs. Lehman, I I raked everything. I said, I'm I'm done, but I I need to trim. Where's your trimmer? And she goes, oh, okay. And she goes and she goes to the garage, comes back and she hands me a pair of shears. And I went, Oh wow, these aren't even motorized scissors. And I get on my hands and knees, hands and knees, and I go around the entire perimeter of her grass. <laughs> just, just, And I look over at Miss Lehman, she's just smiling, drinking her lemonade. And I'm like, man, this, you know, thinking like 100 bucks, 50, what am I gonna, I don't know, man, this, my dad's probably negotiated for me. This is gonna be great. So then I go over and I'm like, well, I, th- I think I'm done. And I, and I said, well, I think I'm done. And, and um, well, you know, do that whole thing. And she goes, well, thank you so much. She said, hey, what's your favorite drink? I'll have that for you next week. And I was like, well, I love Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper. She goes, great. Well, I'll have that next week and and I'll I'll start paying you next week with a Dr. Pepper. And I went, okay, okay. I call my dad, he comes and gets me and I get in the car and I go, dad, I can't do this. It was like two and a half hours. I'm exhausted from football. I can't, she didn't even pay me. And my daddy said, oh, you're gonna do it. Every Saturday. The next Saturday, he forces me to go. I go, walk up to the door by myself. He just leaves before I had a car. So I couldn't even do anything I want to do anyways. (laughs) I walk up, do the whole thing again. Gives me a Dr. Pepper. The next week I go back, do the whole thing again. She gives me a Dr. Pepper. And this time, I said, can I sit for a minute? She said, I would love that. I sat with her on the swing, 15 years old. And we just sat there. She started talking with me. 30 minutes go by, 45 minutes. I'm, I'm having a blast. She's telling me stories and giving me wisdom. I called my dad. The next week, he didn't have to wake me up. I got up, and I was at the front door, and, he's, and I, he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm ready to go to Mrs. Lehman's. And then over the course of the summer, I did that every summer through high school. Every summer, Mrs. Lehman for a Dr. Pepper. And I would sit there drinking Dr. Pepper, and she would have her lemonade. And it changed my life. I'll never forget I don't know why I get emotional because she passed away when I was in college and it, it wrecked me because I realized one day when I was on my hands and knees with those shears. My dad wouldn't even let me take our own lawnmower, by the way. <laughs> I, when I had those shears in my hand. Toward the end of that first summer, I looked up at her and I'll never forget, I just sincerely felt like the Holy Spirit whispered something in my ear and he said, look at her. She's the reward. She's the payment. And it made sense. It's not about what I get. It's about who I'm investing into. And I wish I could say that that cured all selfishness in my life for all of time. It didn't because it's a discipline, but it shaped the whole course of my life. And I'll always be grateful to my dad for making me go to Mrs. Lehman's house because servants are committed It's not about just being involved. It's not about just being connected. It's a posture. And here's the truth, though. I mentioned earlier, we are created to serve. That's why we were created. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so we can do them. So before you were ever born, before the foundation of the earth, God had you in his mind and work for us to do. The most fulfilled people I know are the ones who serve, not volunteer, servants. So what are our practical next steps with serving? Some practical next steps could be, I think answering a question like this, This it's the principle all through scripture, but answering the question, am I feeding what's feeding me? I'll explain, whether that's at church, or home, or work, everywhere we go, something is pouring into us, feeding us, energizing us, serving us. And one of the principles all through scripture, all through scripture is, feed what's feeding you. Don't break the cycle. Whether it's nature, or Jesus walking up to the fig tree, and killing it because it wasn't producing fruit, it wasn't feeding Feeding the people that were feeding it. All through scripture, there's this principle. So maybe many of our next step is just asking that question. Am I giving to what's giving to me? Am I serving at the church that's pouring into me? Am I serving in my family? I think it's a great question for every age, every person, wherever we are, at work, at school, at different charities, different places. We have to have a servant posture. Another next step is serving our family serving our family, your mom, dad, grandparent, whatever it might be, the posture of servanthood is everything. Am I serving my spouse? What are practical things I can do to take my next step in serving our wives, serving husbands, serving our kids? What are practical next steps? Well, I I think I'm already a servant, but don't just stop. What's the next step you can do? Serving at church, serving different places. What is your next step with your family? What's the next step with spouses in our lives? And I also, I don't want to leave kids out because I don't want kids looking at parents going, yeah, mom, and dad, I take the next step in serving me. No, 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 yeah, but kids, when was the last time you did something before your parents asked? When, when was the last time you did something to serve the parents that are literally feeding you? When was the last time you got up from dinner to wash dishes, not because you didn't have to because you look at your exhausted mom and dad and say, it's the least I can do. Start early, because people who aren't servants, they make bad spouses, they, they, they make bad friends. They just do, because the more we give out, the more like Jesus we are. Another extremely practical next step, and you hear us talking about it all the time, is if you have not been to one of our open houses, and I'm talking about these last two are serving in church in this context. If you haven't been to one of our open houses, come to our next one. Our next open house here in Albuquerque is October 29th at 5 p.m. It gives you the entire spectrum of all the different places in our church you can serve. We don't want to monopolize your time with serving. We just wanna help you get started to where you're sowing into what's pouring in to you. I think it's a great opportunity. In Maui, if you're watching, Your next open house is November 8th. Ours here in Albuquerque is October 29th. Maui is November 8th. Another really practical way, as you're walking out today, um, here in Albuquerque and in Maui, we have tables where you can sign up to serve on our welcome team. Our welcome team is basically everything Sunday. Remember, in Albuquerque, we're opening up a new North Campus in a few months, and we're needing to multiply people who are serving, like crazy. So if you're interested in doing that, just get a little bit of information at those tables. I promise you, it's not gonna be like that section in the mall where everybody's trying to sell you Comcast and perfumes and all of that. You can walk by the table. We're not gonna judge you, but I'm telling you this. Stop by, get a little bit of information. We want to help you serve at the pace you want to start serving, but we need you. This is not a church. Some people walk in and go, the church this size, they probably don't need me. No, we need you desperately. And I think today could be a great day for you to take your next step in serving on our welcome team or our serve team. I wanna pray today and pray over you and and just pray that as we take this next step with another dimension of serving, that God would speak to us, challenge us, encourage us today to grow in our relationship with him through service. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I pray that you would challenge us. God, I pray that you would show us and reveal to us these areas in our lives where we can serve and grow. God, be with us today. Let us become more like you, empowered by your spirit, making great decisions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for taking the time to watch the message today. We truly hope it was impactful. Right now, wherever you are, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit leading you to receive Christ today, we wanna take the time to pray with you right now. Yes, so wherever you are, whether in your home, in your car, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for dying for me. Lord, I choose right now to give my heart and my life to you. Every single day, Lord, is yours from now on. I surrender to you. I love you, Jesus, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, your next steps are on the screen right now. Please take the time, get connected with us and take those critical next steps. We hope to see you back next week.